Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi, what you are about to hear is an edited version of a recent talk I had with Wayne Jacobson. Wayne is co-author of the book The Shack, which was also made into a movie. And Wayne is best known for helping people to understand the father's love through his own life experiences. And he knows how easy it is for us to misunderstand and misinterpret that love because he did it. He calls himself a recovering Pharisee. I've heard him say that. And he has learned through life circumstances how deep and rich God's love really, truly is for us, even in the midst of horrific tragedies such as the death of our child. So I really wanted to talk to him about some of these things that he has learned through life's journey that he loves to share with others. You'll hear us talk about some pretty heavy things, such as feeling like God betrayed us and about the topic of God allowing the death of our children and allowing pain and suffering in this world. So let's go ahead. And here is my talk with Wayne. I want to start out with something that I just read a little bit ago. You've written several books and you have a co-author on one of your books, Dave Coleman says he often tells me he thinks that 90% of Christians live with an undercurrent of anger towards God for not answering their prayers. Wow. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I do. I think it's true. It's not, not answering prayers. That's one of it. And the other bit is not meeting expectations that we were given that, you know, if we follow God and we, you know, want to follow him, then he will bless our lives. He has a wonderful plan for our life and everything goes well. And then when life unravels for people who have a spiritual, I'll say more religious than spiritual, Mm -hmm. then their life comes unraveled in God too, because God's supposed to be in control of everything. So how did he let this get by him? How did he make this happen to me? What's And the religious answers we get to those questions are pretty sick and distorted. And I think feeds the very anger you're concerned about. I've met with a lot of people who've lost children in this journey. And I, and I, to, to those of you that have, my heart goes out to you. I can't imagine what you go through. I don't have a ministry to grieving parents. I don't feel like I've got my heart wrapped around what, what you go through. I've got two children. They're both alive and well. And if either one of them was not in my life, I can't imagine. So I, I don't, I'm a little intimidating when you ask me to come on and talk about anger and grief with people who've lost kids. I'm going, gee whiz, who wants to hear Wayne talk about that? He's never been through it. But I have been through it with a lot of people. To me, it was so shocking at what a dark place it took me to. As a believer, as one who loves God, and I, I was just, I didn't even know that kind of darkness even existed. And that was with having God down with me in the pit down there. And so many parents, they don't, they don't feel God down in the pit with them. And the word that I get a lot of is betrayal. They feel like God betrayed them. That's a rough place to be. So Wayne, does God betray us like that? Does he tell us one thing in the word and then just do whatever he wants to do anyway? No, we have so misconstrued what the scriptures say, because Jesus even warned us. He said, look, as long as you're in the world, you're going to have trouble. Don't think because you're my follower that bad things aren't going to happen, that we're part of the world we live in. And 
There's a capriciousness to suffering. There's a, why the tornado hits over here and misses that block over there. And people say, well, it's because we prayed over here and they didn't pray over there. And I go, that's just so absurd. The, the ideas we have of God, that God micromanages every bit of the creation. And somehow he saw my child was going to die and he made a decision not to stop it. Or he allowed it is the language that a lot of Christians are comfortable using. And it's weird because we find some kind of weird comfort in that. Well, if God allowed it, it must be good. And then the parent has got to grope for, well, what's good about this? What, what, you know, what was wrong with my child that God would take him out? What was wrong with my faith that God didn't protect me the way Psalm 91 promises he, he protects us from all our afflictions. And I think we've just really misconstrued scripture because of the Old Testament's kind of, if you do good, get good, do bad, get bad. But there's also an unfolding in the Old Testament say it's not exactly true. And what we see in the New Testament is you follow Jesus. You know, Jesus even said it, it rains on the just and the unjust. It's in the, the Tower of Siloam fell on those people and killed them. Jesus said, do you think it, those it killed were worse people than those it didn't? And the answer is, of course not. There's a capriciousness to suffering in the broken creation. And so we don't know. I don't know that my child won't die tomorrow. My brother died at 49, multiple sclerosis. My mom had to deal with that. An older child, but we weren't wired to lose or outlive our children. We just weren't. No. And so there's an unmasking of the brokenness of the creation. It sends us into suffering, but it, we, most of us don't even want God in that suffering if he's the one who caused it. Or if he had his eyes closed and something got past him that day, what kind of God is that? Yeah, so how can I trust a God who did this to me? Yeah, and that's even that's even worse. And so mm -hmm. we all have to deal inside the theology we've been given. And unfortunately, a lot of the theology we've been given is really bad. And so when we need God most is the time we're most separated from him, the most uninterested in wanting him in there because somehow I've got to make peace with the fact that, God, you caused this, and you're, you're supposed to still love me, and I'm supposed to figure that out. And I just don't think there's an answer there other than denial. You can, okay, God's good. God's big. Obviously, he thought I deserve this, or I would be a better person if I went through this. So a lot of people climb back into a fake relationship with God by just saying, okay, I'm, 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 a, I'm the pot. He's the potter. What, what do I have to say about it? Instead of maybe our theology is wrong. Maybe what we say about this loving God, every good gift, every perfect gift count comes from him. He's not the destroyer in the story. It's the enemy who plunders, steals, kills, and destroys the things in this world. That God's on the other side of that. And uh, that's, that's where people need to be helped to find that there is a God who loves them. And your circumstance, your loss of a child doesn't prove otherwise. It doesn't prove the opposite. You're still loved. But it's going to take you a while to get to that. It just is. Grief is the process where we get to the, the, the memories of our beloved child person, maybe a spouse. We, we get through the tragedy and get on the other side of it. And now the memories of how they lived are sweeter than the death they died. And grief takes a while to do that. Yeah, most parents don't think we'll ever get there. It's, it's amazing how many will tell me, well, that might be true for you but I don't see myself ever getting there. But if they, if they take the journey with God and can you take the journey with God and still be angry at him? Oh my goodness. God handles anger better than anyone I know. And if you're angry at God, the best thing to do is go have it out with him, express that fully to him. 
let him know where you felt betrayed, where you feel like he failed you. So yeah, and the Psalms give us that freedom. And there's much in the Psalms that says we get to pray that way. What about then all of these scriptures that tell us the opposite, or we seem to think they tell us the opposite. Things like speak to this mountain and believe, ask anything in my name and it'll be done. By his stripes, you are healed. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and, and it'll be done for you. What happens to those scriptures in the middle of all of this? Because so many of us, it's like, I stood on these scriptures. I did everything right. I was a good Christian. I, you know, I don't deserve this. And I, I prayed and I, I claimed these things and God didn't come through for me. Yeah, and that's a bigger question, isn't it? Because that gets to what we see scripture as. And unfortunately, we've, we've done this little proof texting thing. We go pull out a little scripture here and we pull out a scripture there and we say, oh, well, these promise here. And I get, and we had a little box of promises when I was a kid. And you pull out a promise a day and you read that. And it, it's God's always for you. God's always going to get the good stuff in you. And yet there are so many scriptures that say God's in the darkness with you. Mm -hmm. God can walk you out of this. Your punishment, Job, you know, one of the big books about suffering. Job is about, it, it wasn't about you did something wrong and this is punishment. It wasn't about that. And yet that was the argument for 30 some mm -hmm odd chapters in that book i think we've got scriptures so wrong because we've proof texted it to death so we pull out these little things and then when you're outside those proof texts like some like many of your parents are who are listening to us now what, what comfort do you have because the scriptures failed you so you end up with one of two things either god failed the scriptures god didn't do for me what he should have done or obviously i'm not in a place of grace i i wasn't the kind of child god could do it for so i'm being punished by this both of those options won't lead to the darkness, won't lead to the comfort and the love and the transformation. Right, neither one brings peace, that's for sure. Nothing in scripture is a law anymore. We're, to, we're allowed to live in the freedom of a growing trust in Father's affection for us. And how he leads us and guides us is his prerogative. And we don't all have the same mission. We don't have the same calling. So yeah, we've done that. Scripture is this amazing story of God making his way into humanity's consciousness inviting us to know him, inviting us out of our religious rituals to engage a God who is bigger than anything this world can shelve out to us, anything. He's bigger than that. There's love and grace and peace, and there's a journey inside him. And there's a promise beyond this life where all of that's going to make sense. It doesn't make mm -hmm. sense here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense why my 49-year-old brother passed away with multiple sclerosis. His desire was to be a missionary in Russia. I went to college as a young man, studied both Russian and Bible. So we could go. He By the time the Iron Curtain falls, he's so debilitated by the MS, he can't go. Now, my brother's life makes no sense in terms of his visions and hopes and desires and prayers in God and what he got to experience in this life. It doesn't make sense here, but this is only the prologue of his life. There's an eternity out here where it's going to make some sense. I, I don't know how much my brother's prayers for the people in Russia shaped what happened in Russia and what still happens. I got a chance to be over there a few years ago. And I only I went primarily because I said, if I ever get an invitation, I'm going because my brother had such a heart for that place. And that's how we have to look at me. There's nothing about Wayne that says I get to live here longer on the planet than my brother did. My brother, same passion for God. I have same this, same that. I don't know the explanation that makes sense of that story. What I do is I know a God who's big enough to contain all the suffering and pain in the world and still work out his glory in us now and through ages to come. And that the scripture is the great story 
that there's nothing we face that God can't be bigger than, but it doesn't encourage us to believe that God's going to fix everything that causes us pain. He just doesn't. At least not here. Not on this life. No, not on the side of it. And then if we believe that, then when pain comes, like I had a, one of the first people that read, he loves me. I left it for someone at a, at, at a place I was at back in Florida, just because I, and I didn't get to meet the person. Some person had done a favor for me. I didn't get to meet them. So I left the book. He loves me for this, this lady. And uh, a week later, I get a call from her husband who's in tears. And he, they had a five month old daughter uh, who got into some kind of medical issue, took her to the hospital and she ended up dying. And they were going to a church that just said, you know, if we claim the promises of God, you get the promise of God. So they were told uh, your daughter died because you lacked faith. Now, the daughter didn't die because of the disease. The daughter died because the hospital made some mistakes that, that, that they admitted later. And he said, I walked out on God that day. That was 15 years before he got a copy of He Loves Me. And he called me in tears saying, this is the God I've always wanted to know. But I walked away from this God 15 years ago. And he's not been to church, not thought about God. He said, why'd you give my wife this book? And I said, I don't know. He said, I just felt nudged to, to leave it for her. And he said, my gosh, I saw it on the counter. And I thought another piece of religious trash. But then he sat down and started to read it. And he said, God's just invited me back. And this is the God I always hoped was true. And that's how religion hurts people. It has easy God answers, which for most of us work. Most of us have kids outlive us. So for most of us, that little stuff works. But it doesn't work for people who enter into amazing points of tragedy. And right. I got into that early. My best friend in high school died of a brain tumor at 17. So... Mm. I, very early on, and we were, you know, believers, and we prayed, and I've seen God heal. I know God heals, and we thought we knew God was going to heal him, start a revival. It didn't happen, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and I was disillusioned early with God's agenda for life isn't my agenda. It doesn't mean God's not strong enough. Doesn't mean not big enough. Just mean God's got other things going on than we can comprehend. Uh -huh. To me, it has come to the bottom line is that faith is trusting Him with the circumstance. And I guess that's kind of, the, you know, you talk about the blind faith, but it shouldn't be a blind faith, should it? I mean, no. God is, comes to us in so much realness and love and faithfulness and mercy and goodness that it, it doesn't have to be a blind leap of faith. Okay, God, well, I guess I'm going to trust you anyway and hope it all works out. To me, it's going from that. I, I actually travel. I was a children's minister for most of my life. And so I use objects, object lessons, and uh, I figured Jesus uses them. I still use them. <laughs> and I travel with a genie lamp, an Aladdin-type lamp, and I talk about how God is not our genie in a bottle. Mm -hmm. It's like we think as Christians, we're almost taught, we just rub the magic lamp and God pops out and says, your wish is my command. What do you want me to do for you? And I need that many God. That turns mm -hmm. me into being God. And I need him to be so much bigger than me telling him what to do. And he does it. Yeah. And, and in the end, we want a God like that. Now, we can be disappointed in, in specific situations. We wish it come out better for us. But overall, we, we don't want a God who's just an extension of our better selves. We want a God who's holding the whole world in his hands. And there's yeah. so much of human will and interaction and the capriciousness of sin and sickness and war and conflict. And there's all of that that goes on in the world. God's able to hold all that and still work toward this ultimate rescue of and redemption that's ours in him.
in the fog of grief, I would say for months, even in the fog of grief, you're not ready for no. those kinds of questions. No, what, you, what, you, what I tell people to do is just just embrace the grief. Don't don't try to mm -hmm. oh, I'm sorry for crying. And I, you know, embrace the grief. You, you, you've had a horrible thing happen in your life. And dreams are just there's all kinds of things that griefs attached to. So embrace the grief and embrace God in the grief, even if it's God, I don't understand you. I understand how this got by you. I don't understand anything. But God, I want you to be here with me and just open the door. That's that's really all we can do. Uh -huh. Because trust isn't, well, I'm going to trust him anyway, no matter what. Because trust is never blind. To me, trust is always the fruit of love. I've been married yeah. to Sarah for 45 years. I know because of thousands and thousands of moments when Sarah will lay down her life for me. I've, I've known that. When it would be in her best interest to do something else, she gives up her life for me. I completely trust Sarah 45 years into this marriage. I do. I said I did when I married her, but we didn't. We were both manipulating each other, right? Through selfish desires. That's, we both that's true, yeah. Over 45 years, we've learned what love is. We've learned what trust is. My trust in God used to be a faith was a religious work. I owed uh -huh. God faith. Now, in this stage of my journey, I see trust as the byproduct of love. I trust God to the degree that I know he loves me. And that's, that's what truth is, just the fruit of knowing I'm loved. So when I get into circumstances that are beyond me, I'll pray stuff like this. Father, I know you love me. I don't know how you love me in this. I don't. Would you show me? And give God the time and the space to make his love evident in the midst of the things where it doesn't make sense to us. And that's how he wins us to trust. I think people in grief need people who've been through grief to hold them, to just sit with them and, and not try to push them. You don't need people... Grief takes its own space in people's lives. I, I don't, you know, it shouldn't be over in six months or two years or five years. It's, it's let it have its work. It's, it's a very individual thing. And you want other people near you, around you, people you can listen to who have been through it and have found their way out, but you don't want people telling you how to find your way out and telling you, you got to do this, this, and this, because that, that won't help. But stories like yours and examples of, of, of other parents who've lost kids, because I've traveled around the world enough. I've talked to enough people I know God's bigger than everything because I've seen people not only survive it, I've seen them thrive again in life. That yeah, there's there, you'll never get beyond the passing of a child. You won't, mm -hmm. but you will get on to a different life God has for you. And there can be joy again, and there can be all those things. And in the first months or years of that, it doesn't even look possible. Mm -hmm. But you don't want at that time to give into the darkness because so many do, and they end their lives. They just there's no way out of this. I'm just I'm never going to be better. Yes, you will. Just stay with the journey because mm -hmm. God's big enough, and we've got we've got the word of thousands and thousands of people who have endured tragedies like yours and have come out on the other side saying there's still life to be lived and there's love to be shared and there's joy to be found. And so if, yeah. if nothing else in the darkness, know that because other folks have made it, you will too, you'll get through this. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that helped me way back at the beginning when Becca first died was I realized I have the seed of hope in me. If the Lord is in me, the seed of hope is in me. And there's got to be a way for it to be nurtured and watered for me to see that hope again. And that God wasn't blindsided by Becca's death. He didn't reach his limit on being able to help me. That's not, it's not like, oh, oh dear, I, I can't help you with this one, Laura. <laughs> that there, he did not reach his limit of grace and strength and comfort and all the things that 
we need as grieving parents, he did not reach his limit in being able to help me when Becca died. Right. And to know that when we're in grief, God, God feels our grief to the degree that we feel it. You know, it's not like God's this, I've got super answers and I'm just all cool. And I'm going to sit here until you get out of your grief. God knows the wound in our heart that the loss mm -hmm. causes. He knows the darkness that ravages our soul. Jesus went through it for Pete's sakes. So he knows he's not just sitting there waiting for us to get our act together. He's actively Jesus weeping at the tomb of Lazarus with Mary and Martha is one of my favorite things for stuff like this. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. This is not a mm -hmm. surprise to Jesus. At the same time, he is struck by their pain and what they've been through the last few days for them, for them it would only last days this time around, but mm -hmm. that's where we've got to embrace the, the grief and embrace God in the grief instead of God being over there somewhere waiting till I get out of this grief. He's in it with and, us and he feels it. Yeah. And death isn't just our enemy. Death is God's enemy too. Yeah, exactly. This is not his plan. This is not the way he wanted it to be, but there's a redemptive thing in death being in the world. Otherwise we'd be eternally sinful. Death needed to be the doorway into a better eternity. And it is, mm -hmm. and that's what we live for. And uh, so, yeah, that, that doesn't answer the why questions about everything. It just doesn't. Why did this happen? Why couldn't, why didn't God, why, why, why? It, doesn't answer that. I think God's love somehow surrounds the why questions till they're no longer important. Mm -hmm. And I yeah, had that kind I, of conversation with someone yesterday where they had this why question. And by the time we got to the end of it, they're going, my why doesn't matter anymore mm -hmm. because God makes himself that it's not, it's not, there's a good logical reason why your child died and so-and-so's down the street mm -hmm. doesn't, there's no good reason for that. It's just the viciousness of a broken universe. And so how do we find God in the midst of that and live on? And you just, to me, you just said the key is how, instead of all the why, 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 even if God did come down and tell us why, it probably wouldn't be a good answer for us. We would argue with him, <laughs> kind of like Job. You know, I, we would argue with him why his answer wasn't good enough because it wouldn't make sense in our finite minds. It just wouldn't. To me, turning the corner and asking how, how are you going to get me through this, God? How are you going to draw me closer to you through this? How are you going to, you say you're going to work it for good in my life. How are you going to take the death of my child and turn it, work it into something good in my life? How are you going to do that? And I think that's when God says, I'll show you how. I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he'll step in and he'll answer the hows. And that's a long process. I don't ask oh, God how is. when he gives me an answer the, the same minute. You know, it's just. Yeah. I hold things before God, things that are difficult and painful, just hold them. And I watch him and I watch those things unfold. And somehow God begins to make himself known in the midst of it. And then he begins to pull my heart into a different journey. And, and the light comes again. I, somebody told me this on a podcast I did with him a while back, going through real pains of darkness, just saying, if you find yourself going into the darkness, don't chase the setting sun to the West. You can chase that and never get there. The mm -hmm. fastest way to the sun again is through the darkness mm -hmm. to the east where the sun will rise again. And for people oh. who feel hopeless, the sun will rise again. The sun has not set. It's only set inside your heart because just you've been overwhelmed by the darkness. He's still there. He's still right there. You can't see him. You can't get your hands there. You don't feel it. It's okay. Just keep moving that direction because mm -hmm. the sun will rise in your heart again. He will make himself known. And the darkness of the grief will fade. And out of that will come some beautiful memories of your child, whatever that you can treasure. Mm -hmm. even though you're going to miss them in the, yes. in the current time. So. 
Yeah. I, and, you know, I just want to, I want to just <laughs> give an amen confirmation to that because it is at the beginning, the memories are very painful yes, because you realize that's all you have left now at this point are memories of my child and the memories are very painful. But as you continue, it is a process. It is a journey. And you will get to the point where those memories become something that warms you. And like you said, brings you joy. They won't always be painful yeah. to you to have these memories. I sat with a couple in Australia who had lost a child in a car accident when she was like two and a half or three. She would have now been like 24. And I was sitting in their home talking to them and they were telling me some of the story and some of what happened. I'm looking around the room and I see no pictures of their daughter. I see pictures of the family. I see them all different ages. I said, where's the daughter that died? You don't have a picture over here. I said, well, it was just, it was just too painful. It's been 20 some years of never crawling into the grief enough to let go, let the memories become joyful. So instead they're hiding her and, and that suppression of memory and love doesn't help the process. And so we talked about, I said, well, what can we do? I said, you know, if I were you, what I would do is I would, there's a, a whole panorama of their family, kids in various ages, all kind of Photoshopped together, but she's not, I would put her in that. I would take it back to that artist and say, we need our daughter there too. Bring, bring the children, the, the child that you've lost back into your life. And th- there'll come a time, maybe not the initial stages of grief. Don't be in a hurry to do this. But as time comes, I, the, the, the gal who, whose letter you read to start this podcast, she told me the other day, she said, the thing I most want to talk about is my daughter. And mm-hmm. no one wants to talk about my daughter. Uh-huh. Yep. Because yep. now she's past it. The memories are treasured. So I asked her, I said, well, share with me. What are the things that you love most about your daughter? What are the things you remember most? So she wrote me another email about those memories. And I said, you know, it'd be good is for you to sit down with people who knew your daughter when she was younger. And just ask them, what's your favorite memory of my daughter? I said, people will answer it when they know it's safe to answer. They're afraid if I bring it up, it'll be time. So go ahead and invite them in when you're ready for that. Just say, what do you remember about my daughter? When, I, when I'm with people who've lost kids, I ask them. Because I know they want to live in those memories. Even if they're still painful, they'll want to live in yes. them, not the dying, but the living of that child. I had another question that I wanted to toss at you here, and that is, we kind of touched on it, and I know this is something that, I'll be really honest, it's an area, I know I use this terminology, and I know you don't care for it, and it's that God allowed this to happen. Hmm. For whatever reason, we don't understand God allowed my daughter to die when she did. So can you kind of tackle that and tell me what it is about that? Because I, I want to learn as much from you as I can. And, and so I just go for it. Tell me what it is about that phrase that keeps us from understanding something about God. Well, I think it, it, it brings God down to a human level that God had a logical volitional choice to save my child or not save my child. And so he allowed it, whether it's car accident, whether it's cancer, whether it's you know, whatever that God allowed something because everything's in God's control, right? So if something bad happens, then God had to see it coming and had to allow it. And I think part of what it does is it reduces God to our level of intellect. And there's that God's reality and God, the decisions that God makes in the cosmos are about the fullness of everything being completed in Christ, right? So that if God were to, if it were true that most Christians believe 
that no, no bad thing should happen to Christians. If we're prayed up and whatever, then only good things happen to us and only bad things happen to the world. Now that paradigm in the world would lead to chaos. I don't, I don't know without being it, it would just be, everybody would become a Christian because they want right. everything good to because happen. Because what they life. can get. Yeah. There's no sense of sin and failure and grace and whatever. So the, the gravity of the universe that kind of got started in the fall is the world tends toward chaos and destruction and God tends toward life and freedom. And so there's a whole reality of things that go on bigger and for God to make the volitional choice, for instance, about the death of children, it's probably less a problem when it gets to the sexual abuse of children. Mm. They have got allowing this mm-hmm. girl to be raped by her uncle or her dad or whatever. And now you've got God as an abuser. Cause I wouldn't allow it in my home. I, it wouldn't even be my kid. If, if I have somebody in my home and the father is abusing the child, I will stop it. You don't get mm-hmm. to abuse her here. And I don't mean just sexually, if it's emotionally or physically or whatever. So I, I think the idea that God allows sets up a pretty weird view of God in view of the, the kids that are being destroyed in Syria right now, the people who are starving to death in Pokot, in Kenya, the, you know, to say, well, God's allowing that. It, then, then you make God a partner in the work of the enemy, which is to destroy, and the greed of humanity, mm-hmm. which is to destroy. And so I don't think God allows that. That's say, well, Wayne, you don't think God's in control. I think God's in control in a different way than we think he's in control. I don't think it means God gets to do whatever he wants because he set up a paradigm of humanity's choices impacting what goes on in this world. And he's the redeemer in that story. He's not the destroyer. So for me to use the word God allows makes him a partner in tragedy. And I don't think my God's a partner in tragedy. He's the, mm-hmm. he's the redemptive voice in the story. So God doesn't That's allow, good. but that doesn't mean to me God's not powerful. That like God couldn't, you know, it's not a matter of wanting. It's a matter of there's a purpose of God unfolding in the earth that's bigger than this choice or that choice. Or that God's, mm-hmm. you know, I had a bad day yesterday, so he's made all the lights turn red while I'm trying to get somewhere that I need to be on time. I mean, the way we think about God is so bizarre. Yes, God is sovereign. God will wrap this universe up exactly the way he wants to. I don't think that means he chose for your child to die or he chose for that child to die, or I'll heal that cancer, but I'm not going to heal that one because there's some volitional choice of God that cares. God must still have something for that child to do. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's just crazy thought. Mm -hmm. I do. I think those religious answers is what feeds what Dave said that you quote, you read of his Mm -hmm. about why 90% of Christians live angry at God because he doesn't meet their expectations. He doesn't answer the prayers the way they want him answered. We don't really want a God who superintends the universe. We want a fairy godmother. You say a genie in a bottle. We want Mm -hmm. someone to give me what I want. And that's not who God is. And And when he does give us what we want, then we get upset because we want free will, free choice. For me. Mm-hmm. But we don't realize we're impacted by the free right. choice of others as well. So right, right. we don't get our way. Yeah. We live in a very different world. And I think if we thought more broadly and didn't try to have these very simplistic, logical, and I've seen the parents at funeral, I've been pastor and I've seen the parents at a funeral of their child saying, boy, if enough people get saved here, it'll be worth it at the funeral. And you go, that's not what this is about. Mm. The, the, the weird ways that if God's in control of everything, the weird ways we have to justify God to ourselves only represses our grief. It doesn't allow it to heal. And then it'll still be there 25 years later. And you just don't want it there 25 years later. Yeah. Boy, I'll tell you, someone says that at the funeral, I can just about guarantee you six months from now, they're fighting that big time. I really said this was worth it. (laughs) Yes. 
But I've known parents who do that. They struggle. Or I've heard the dumb advice. Well, maybe God knew your child was going to be a drug addict. So took him home now. Yes. To save him. I mean, it's just so many stupid things we say because we don't, we have a God that controls everything. So he's making everything happen. And the, the message of Job is he's not, there's an enemy in the world that destroys. Mm-hmm. The man I worked to, I, I walked to a long death of his wife with breast cancer. When he believed in God would have healed her. And I shared all those on my blog, this mm-hmm. letter exchange over a long period of time. I forget me, 40,000 words of exchanging in that because he had lost his faith when his wife died. His God owed him better. And he had faith enough for her to be healed. Mm-hmm. And now you've got to re rethink is what I believe true. Because if what you believe is true and God ends up being the greatest saddest in the universe, then what you believe is true is wrong. And so you've got to find a different way to know him as he is. Uh He's a loving, kind and gracious father who's navigating us through a broken world. And that's tricky for him and for us. Yeah. And he, like you said, he's, he's a redeemer and he didn't leave us so that this world was it. I, I mean, to me, it's just amazing that I'll see Becca again. And when I'm with her again, it's going to be forever this time. And the stuff that was here will be behind us. And I don't know if all these questions of the whys and the just all of that stuff is really going to matter even at that point. No, it's not. Truth be told, it's not going to matter. We're going to, this is all like scripture says that life on this earth is like a vapor, a dew. Mm-hmm. It's there and gone. This is the this is the lobby of the of the movie theater. The movie we haven't got <laughs> oh, to yet. Right? The, the real reason we're here is beyond this life. But when we're here, it seems like everything. Yeah. We'll remember this world. I think about like we remembered being two and three. Eh, something mm. back there. I kind of remember vaguely, but. No, Mm -hmm. his joy and his light and life will overwhelm us in a way. Well, in Romans, where he says that the glory won't uh, won't even be compared to the suffering. It's like, that's got to be some glory. (laughs) It's got to be some glory if it can't even be compared to our suffering. I'm going to ask you one more question. And it's the whole thing about praying. What's the point of praying? and taking things to god if he's just going to answer however he wants to answer why bother praying and i know i i actually sat and read through all 13 of those blogs between you and and alan last night and i know this is something that he struggled with and i know this is something that a lot of parents bring to me after the death of their child is i i can't i feel like i can't even pray anymore what's the point of praying if he didn't answer the prayers to protect and save my child yeah, and see, the, the, the premise of the question is still, why am I going to pray if God's going to go ahead and do what he wants to do anyway? That, that's made him the allower, him the orchestrator, right? Mm-hmm. Prayer is not, and I, I assume you're talking mostly about petitionary prayer. I think prayer is about 2% petitionary. I think most of prayer is, God, I need to know what you're doing here, or I need you to comfort my heart here. I, I can see this is not going the way I'm hoping, so how do I lean into who you are? Prayer is the engagement with God that allows us to take on what he knows and what he sees. It's not to manipulate God to get to do what we think we see and we know. Now, I'm all for praying. A sick child, you want me to pray for your sick child? I will all the time. I will pray for anybody that wants prayer. I've seen God heal some amazing things. And I've seen other things not go healed. And I don't think it had to do with our prayers necessarily being the determining factor. We prayed better there. We didn't pray so well there. I don't think that's it. But prayer is the way we participate with God in the unfolding of the kingdom in the world. 
And so it isn't about getting what I want. It's I, I can start there, make any request you have known to God, Philippians 4, Paul told us there. But at the same time, don't put your expectations inside your prayers. Watch how things unfold and then your prayers shift and change to God. What do you want to do now? When the early church was threatened with persecution, remember in Acts, they were threatened with, you guys keep talking about this Jesus, we're going to kill you. And they go back to pray and they pray. And in their prayers, they could have prayed, God, destroy the Pharisees, kill them, get rid of all those people that are trying to get us. But what they prayed was, is give us boldness in the face of their accusations. And that's the prayer God answers. Mm-hmm. I like to take people to John 12, where Jesus is coming to the cross and he says, you know, now my hour has come. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. That's the prayer we always pray, right? We pray, Father, save me prayers. Oh, God, mm-hmm. save yeah, me from yeah. this. I don't want to go through it. And I pray that for my friends. I don't want them to go through it. Mm-hmm. But Jesus prayed this way and said, said, Father, glorify your name. That's the prayer. It's yeah. not Father, save me. I would save my kid. I would I, I pray those prayers when you're in uh-huh. that space. But when they don't go the way you hope they would go, Father, be glorified in this. Be glorified yeah. in my child's dying. Be glorified in my grief. Be glorified in how my life goes on from here. That's what will take us into the heart of the Father. That's the prayer that's meaningful because now we're a partner with him, not just trying to get him to do what we think is best. Yeah, and I think we we tend to forget that prayer is about relationship. Hmm. And so the whole thing, you know, turning instead of turning it into God, give me what I want, or I'm going to think you betrayed me and I'm not never going to talk to you again. It's more like, God, how can I get closer to you right now? How can I, you know, yeah, exactly. What, what do you want? What can I do right now to be close to you and learn from you and lean into you. And it's, it's more relational. I know one time, cause I have so many, I do have so many parents. That's one of their biggest struggles is, you know, we prayed for our child to be healed or we prayed for protection and it didn't happen. And so why bother praying? And, and they struggle with praying for other people now. And, and when it comes to the petition prayers, I believe what God showed me uh, fairly recently, actually, is that when you have a King over a kingdom, And you have his subjects or the peasants that come to him and they make requests. And the king, he doesn't just look at that individual request from that individual person. He looks at how that request is going to affect the entire kingdom. And the king gives his answer based on his big picture of the entire kingdom. And what that peasant or that subject can't see, all that subject or that peasant can see is how this affects me. And this is what I'm coming to you asking for. And the king, if he's a good king, he's going to give his answer based on the big picture of everything and how it affects his entire kingdom. And so it's not that we don't come with the request, because if I don't come with the request, then there's no obligation for him to answer it whatsoever. It hasn't even been put before him. But then when I lay that before him, I have to lay it in a way that it's in his hands to answer because he sees what I can't see. He knows what I don't know. And he's going to answer according to the big picture of the entire kingdom, not just my piece of it. Yeah, and the best part about that is we're not just subjects to a king, right? We're yes. friends of the king. So we, yes. we get, yeah, we get to understand a little bit of, Hey, what are you up to? And how, how, do, how can I be more a part of what you're doing? And yeah, that's what I hope people find beyond the grief. I, I can't imagine the fog of war that comes at that moment of losing your child and for the months that follow. But I hope people take hope. There is a way beyond this. And God's not the one doing this to you. He's the one rescuing you from it. 
It's just all hard. I mean, it's all hard. And so much of this just doesn't have answers, but God getting inside of his love, though, answers become irrelevant. I I don't need the same answers when I know he's with me and he didn't do this to me. And Mm -hmm. now he can take me on and take my child on to what's what they were really created to be. Yeah. And this, this, this isn't it. I mean, he really is the alpha and the omega. He really is the beginning and the end. And he really does have the final word on all of this. This isn't it here. This isn't it. Great. Blessings so much, Wayne. And thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. My pleasure. So that was the talk that I had with Wayne on a live discussion that we did through the month of May called it Grieving Parents Sharing Hope Together. And he was one of my earliest guests. And there were so many good things in here that I just felt like there had to be a way to share it again. And so we edited it down for this podcast. And I can't help but think that there had to be some things in there that make us all think a bit about who we thought God was and maybe who he really is and to do some more exploring on that. If nothing else, we can be thankful that he loved us so much that our Father God made a way for us to be reunited with our children, never to be separated again. I highly recommend connecting with Wayne. And you can do that at lifestream.org, where you can find his blog. And he has a podcast that is called The God Journey that is also really good. I also highly recommend getting his book, He Loves Me. Part of our struggle with trusting God is not believing that he truly loves us. And this book brings it into a level of reality in our lives. And he starts out talking about the the cover has a picture of like a daisy where we maybe as kids, you pull a petal and say, he loves me, he loves me not, and see how it ends up. And a lot of times that's how we see God's love for us. It's like, I, I got a promotion at work, he loves me, and I lost my job, he loves me not. Maybe I found a great parking spot. He loves me. Or somebody uh, did a hit and run on my car in a parking lot. He loves me not. And especially when we have these tragedies in our life, like my child was healed. He loves me. Or my child died. He loves me not. And that is not how God's love is. And so this book is just so good at, at helping us learn more about the reality of God's love. So I just I just recommend it. Uh, check it out. It's called He Loves Me by Wayne Jacobson. And also, just to let you know, Wayne actually endorsed my book, When Tragedy Strikes, Rebuilding Your Life with Hope and Healing After the Death of Your Child. Let me just read to you what it says. It's actually on the front cover of the book. And it says, if you have suffered great tragedy and struggle to connect with God in your grief and disappointment, this was written for you. And there are other endorsements in here. Daryl Scott, who is the father of Rachel Scott, who was killed in the Columbine school shooting, one of the very first mass school shootings in our country. People like Gloria Horsley, if you've heard of her. Grieving parents, pastors, also non-grieving parents like Wayne who have read this and said it just really helped them. And I just wanted to let you know, you can get this book anywhere books can be purchased. And I will easily admit, marketing is not my thing. 
and I really didn't do the greatest at getting this book out there into the eyes of the public when it first came out. And the thing is, I would really like this book turned into an audiobook. And I've had people ask me if we have it as an audiobook. And right now I have to say no. The thing is, we only need 469 more books to be purchased, less than 500 books to be purchased through the bookstores. Now, we sell this on our website and when I go out speaking, but there's a number that my publisher, Morgan James Publishing, that they look for for a book to be sold, and then they will pursue turning it into an audiobook. And we need less than 500 more copies purchased through bookstores. So I am asking if you would please help us with this. You can get it on Amazon, any bookstore, anywhere you get books. You should be able to find it, When Tragedy Strikes, written by Laura Deal. If you haven't read it, maybe you can pick up a copy for yourself. Uh, how about buying one to donate to your public library or maybe a local support group? You could pick up a copy to have on hand to give someone when the need arises. And like I said, you don't have to be a bereaved parent. Anyone who's gone through a deep tragedy or loss can benefit from this book. So I'm hoping that maybe within the next couple weeks we can reach that 500, 469 books sold so that I can talk to my publisher about turning this into an audio book. Let other people know about it, suggest they buy it, and if everyone listening just bought one copy, we'd be there. Also, I, while I'm talking about the book, there is a private Facebook page for those who are reading or have read When Tragedy Strikes. So we can talk in there. We know everybody in there has read this book, and we kind of have the same you know, way of thinking and can ask questions based on what they've read in the book. So... There's the Facebook page if you're interested. Let me know and we can get you in there. And I have put a course together to take people deeper than the book can take them, giving bereaved parents more tools in their grief toolbox. And there are three options for this course, with one of those options being personal mentoring from me as you walk out this grief journey. And I only open up that option of the course two or three times a year. And that's going to be coming up soon. So find out more information, get more info about the course at gpshope.org slash WTS course. Okay, enough about the book. Let's go on to the birthdays. First of all, we have Andrew LaPlante, who was born on May 27th and is forever 24. We have Kyle and Honoria who was born on May 30th and is forever 11. Sean Klein was born on June 1st and he is forever 33. We celebrate and remember this special day with each of these families. If you would like to have your child's birthday shared with the other listeners, all you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays. There's just a simple form with the information we need. Send it in and I will make sure to add your son or daughter to the birthday segment the week of his or her birthday. I just want to close by reminding you that we are all on a journey and we're all at different places. If being angry with God is something you struggle with, it's okay. 
you may want to listen to this podcast again to hear things maybe you didn't catch the first time through. You can also listen to episodes seven and eight of this podcast, where I talk about specifically being able to let go and forgive God in our grief and the pain of the death of our child. Now, all of these links mentioned that I've talked about are in the show notes. And of course, you can find the podcast and lots of other resources on the website. All you have to remember is gpshope.org. I'm so glad you joined me so that we could share some of this journey together. Remember to hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.